How's it going? This is Ty, and this is also the Fiction and Copy Decoded podcast, and I'd like to welcome you, which of course, I always do. Here we talk about fiction, copywriting, persuasion, marketing, and several other issues. Ever since I discovered that fiction writing and copywriting do borrow from each other in quite a few different ways. So without any further ado than we've already had, let's get to it. All right, this will be episode 137. I realized after some somewhat diligent searching that the recording for the particular episode of my third uh, campaign session as a dungeon master hadn't been uploaded yet to the YouTube channel it's usually uploaded to. So I'm going to have to go with a little bit of what I wrote, but also what I remember of the session. And also, it's just interesting for me too, something I also realized about this was that when I'm playing D&D versus when I'm DMing D&D, it's a lot harder for me to take notes. I mean, that would probably come with the territory, but there's some other things in there that it's like really hard for me to capture certain moments because I'm so focused on helping to create an experience or at least the atmosphere for my players to play around and play around with with those circumstances. So <clears throat> anyway, so based on what had happened after the last episode, uh, the party was stuck like spending the night under the stars in a spectacularly constructed shelter that the fighter rolled a natural 20 on for survival, which was pretty awesome. All right. So before that had happened, actually, um, Q, who plays the fighter character who built that shelter, told me to take deep breaths if I needed to during the session and so on, if I needed to calm down, because I had also been talking super fast during the first and second sessions as if I was either trying to get any, everything in or being super nervous as well, which was probably a combination of both. And it didn't help me, my nervousness, uh, calm down any when I realized that before this session, I should have checked because for map size, because I had done a, like a generic map I wanted to do for the town that the players are going to go to next, but I didn't realize until too late that the particular size for the map was too big. Uh, Roll20, which is the service that we use, which you also can use or not, it's just for purposes of this example, uh, has a file size limit of five megabytes for things like maps. And I didn't realize that mine was like one third of a megabyte too large. So that really didn't help me calm down any, not like I was in a frenzy or anything, but that just added something else for me to have to pay attention to because I needed to slice the map up and then uploaded in separate pieces all the while I'm trying to talk and so on and so forth. I maybe should have stopped or paused until I could figure out in silence what needed to be done, but my characters, players kind of picked things up with me for me on that. They had talked about, I forget what it was. It was the last session. It was about uh, Cyberpunk 2077. I think this session it was about something else. So that kind of helped me somewhat. All right. So after I ended up dragging, I 
concocted a plot to basically drag the players around to separate pieces of the map at a time, which I was like rigging up behind the scenes like minutes before they needed to use it. But before that, they'd have this information and this file and other papers they need to take to the queen between the lines, which is she's back in ransom. What I didn't tell the players and was that I didn't actually have the chance to tell them or even hint at to them because everything is going by like so fast and so on. But that the place where the queen and her subjects live actually occupies the same dimensional space the same uh, geographical space as the starting town, but it's in a different dimension. So it's like they're on top of each other, kind of like two pieces of paper stuck together, but they occupy slightly and almost the same space, but not quite. And also that, that this particular phenomenon is held together by uh, magical energy, which I did get to in part. But that'll come in later if I can remember to let you know about it. Which I think I will because it's basically the entire plot. Anyway, I also did a lot of behind the curtaining, which I should not have done with like the Wizard of Oz, you know. I'm doing that less and less. I realized that it would be best for me to not do that during the sessions as much. I cut down greatly on it, but that I should probably save that for here. So that those of you who aren't in the game or who want to know about things from a persuasion, marketing, and so on type of perspective with how psychologically things work together and so on, we'll be able to tune in for this without having to be connected to the game specifically, which is okay. All right. So our fighter, who has a cursed amulet of health, which makes it so that he is forced to roll, I think it's a D8, 1D8, and have his skin turn that color for, I think, four to six hours. He's discovered he's rainbow-colored. And my brother's character, the cat sorcerer, uh, Doc, is bled from his paws a little bit. So I think I had, at this point, I had kind of bought into excessively the idea that my brother had pointed out that I'd tried to establish a kind of horror aesthetic or some kind of Lovecraftian creepy kind of thing. So at this point, I had just tried to make things as strange or unexplained as possible to make it to add to that atmosphere. And um, they also discovered when they got back, people in the Queen's town appeared to be missing limbs and she was hard to understand, almost like, and I had actually paused at certain times and stopping and started sentences at random to try to uh, mimic that effect. I don't know how well it did. I hope it did well enough. Anyway. All right. So they had, they made it so that they could just write back and forth on a piece of paper about what went on. Okay. I didn't, uh, name the necromancer yet, but this particular thing that was happening with the static and people appearing to be missing limbs or parts of limbs, like fuzzy TV, sort of, is work of the necromancer to be named later, because I didn't name him, and the vial itself was that they had found a vial of black liquid at the end of the second session was actually this necromancer's blood. 
okay and this is quite dangerous actually for them because of how powerful and dangerous this blood is so the characters decided to take it with them that's also even though i didn't tell them this that's also part of the cause as to why a cloud had rained on them from the time that they had left the town that they were in to get back to where the queen was they'd been rained on but it was like only them it only rained on them and like nowhere else okay so the ley lines that power these items and the people in the area like all the quote-unquote magical people they'd been disturbed and the, my players would need to go check things out and of course they took the vial with them and one of the characters had said basically well, what if you're not magical? Does it matter? Well, yeah, it does because just like the world itself is in peril. So that's basically the big plot, the huge overarching plot here is to try to discover who's messing around with this stuff and put a stop to it, put a stop to them. Okay. So they go to the town of Comade, which was the randomly generated town name that the little map making program gave me. So I went with it. That's okay. Uh, this is actually when my map issue started and several of the players could give me tips on stream about how to get things done with it with, uh, okay. Like what parts of things made the file bigger or smaller, like with, Oh, if it has lines and shadings that makes the file more complicated, which makes it so the file size is bigger and so on. So I'm trying to rig that up behind the scenes, trying to figure out how to cut things up and to make it so that it's not like too complicated for me, but that they still get the full experience of being in town, journeying to most of the parts of the town, which was pretty interesting too, because they didn't really know what they were going into. And I was kind of... <clears throat> Uh, maybe not paranoid, but I was rather concerned because I hadn't really planned for a lot of combat and things had gone to the point where I didn't know if that's what the players would encounter because of the fact that they were in a new place and they were going to be facing some threats. I didn't know if they could or should fight. So I had to think a little bit about that too. So anyway... They go outside town, right? So Farmer tells the party, the town druid got sick and their crops have started dying. All right, so they go into the center of town. And the crystal in the center of town has kind of got pieces broken off of it. That's what these, these particular crystals hold, hold the power that lines up all the magical energy in the world. So this is the focal point, these five to six things that have been either moved or messed with or broken apart partially that's making this disturbance that they're investigating. So, okay, uh, north of the town, the middle of town where this kind of muted crystal is bobbing and weakly humming is Darren the Druid. <laughs> He's gotten knocked on the head, he said, and he was sick in bed. <laughs> this is where the, this is where the funny part started. This is an unintended consequence that I really did enjoy playing Darren because it's like I really got the really got a feel for playing a character who's really 
scared very easily and also very silly to a comical degree. It's also where we discovered that my brother's character is basically the cat form of Gregory House MD. Anyway, all right. So the party looks at the pieces of crystal, the small pieces of crystal that had broken off. The rogue picks up some of those and puts them in his bag for safekeeping. Which is when he sees, and so does the fighter, that the crystal is a bit off kilter. It's like not centered. And other parts of it have been broken off. They see a set of strange misshapen footprints, which I described as a combination of like some kind of demonic creature, an animal, and a human because of how it's shaped like a hoof at the front, but like a split, like a foot at the front, I think, but like a split hoof in the back. So it's like a very strange looking shape. Okay, so these little crystal pieces lead them to all these footprints. And that leads them to a trap door. But before they get there, <laughs> they have to descend a flight of 154 stairs. Which of course I made up that number because one of my players asked one of my players asked me, well, how many stairs are there? I guess because they either wanted to know that for some reason or just because they were curious or wanted to make me sweat or whatever. What have you. So, anyway. All right. So, the door doesn't have, just has a doorknob in it, but it's trapped. So, the rogue disarms the trap. Inside... They find uh, Dr. Bigger Biggleston, who's actually the owner of the footprints. He's been experimented on. And this is the part where I kind of lost track of things because I was trying to build up details in the atmosphere too fast. Because what had happened was I was working through all this dialogue in character, but I was trying to work so fast that I had actually forgotten what I said at several points. So as my characters, my players tried to uh, get the details of things properly nailed down, it was almost like if I followed along too quick or too much, they would have caught me in basically like what would basically amount to a lie from their perspective. And I didn't want to do that, so I had to kind of back up a little bit. So it's like, okay, Benny, I thought I took care of you. It's like, well, who's Benny? It's like, oh, he's my assistant. He was here. He's disappeared. And it's like, oh, because it had made it a little bit more difficult for me as well because I didn't realize. It's like, okay, I hadn't made the decision at that point. And I really also haven't made it even now, whereas, okay, is the doctor a good guy or a bad guy? Are they going to have to fight him later or not? Is he evil or not? Right now, all they know about him and all that I've sketched out about him is that he's been experimented on. He's not what he was, once was. He did experiments on the crystal, which he gave them 
I'm pretty sure he gave them everything of what he had experimented on previously and he made some notes on it. Other than that, it's like, okay, he bought it from an old man in rags, he said, too. I'm going to have to figure out who that dude is. So that's another guy I'm going to have to talk about for the characters. But it's like, okay. So now what do I do? He only has a piece of this crystal that's the size of a dime, which he said he bought from somebody else. Now, depending on what's what, that could either be the truth or that could just be something he made up to throw my players off the scent. But so far as they know, he gave up without a fight. He didn't threaten them. He didn't do anything to them. He just said, hey, I'm performing experiments on this crystal. I was curious about it. And that's the end. Even to the point of inspiring my brother's character to actually say, hey, if you want help, I'll help you. Because he's like a scientist of sorts. He does experiments on stuff. It's like, oh, hey, I'll help you do what you need to do. If you need help, just like say the word. And if I'm here, I will help you with that, help you out. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. So now with the doctor, it can go either way. <laughs> but the part of it was before where I tried to regulate that with the doctor so that it was not obvious what was going on because I was too far ahead and I needed to pull back. But with Darren the Druid, it was just, it was a different story. It was this hilarious exchange when they got back. <clears throat> I say it's hilarious, even though you weren't there. It's like he, he says he's a Druid, but he, he doesn't know anything. I treated Darren as basically learning to be a Druid would be basically like going to college classes. It's like after he confessed, like he slept through a portion of the class that they're questioning him about, that he thinks my brother's character is a human in a cat mask. He knows almost nothing about animals. And it's like he's just, I don't know, he feels like a failure. He knows he's gotten taken advantage of because he's got hit on the head, or so he says. So... It was getting pretty late at that time. So I had realized too that I needed to get things done with. And I realized because I had spun things too far ahead and I had forgotten a lot of what Darren had told my players that I kind of just made it so that it was totally outrageous and that he was totally maybe a fool, but also that he was lying about most or if not all of what he said. And to punctuate that, I had gas hiss from his body as everything kind of burst off of him and he became a skeleton, which the party promptly put an end to. So I was gonna make it so that he had a lot of hit points, but things were getting kind of late. So with 60 hit points, the players all had basically attacked him first, except for one or two. So he didn't make it for very long. And I think he was able to maybe 
throw someone somewhere. I can't remember. It was they were in a bed and on either side of a bed in a small room because he was confined. Darren was confined to bed. So they took care of him. And then there was this, I told them they hear feet rushing outdoors, like rushing toward this cabin or this little townhouse, this like apartment sort of thing. And they're all panicked, like super panicked because they don't know how they're going to explain a skeleton on the bed and this carnage that they're a part of. So their feet rushing, rushing, rushing. And then they try to get everything, you know, kind of fixed up, you know, in the room. It's like as if there's nothing been going on, sort of. And then the fighter gets this, he's going to go out there and he's going to deal with it, right? So after he goes to get things done, like he's really going to do this, really going to do that to make it so that everybody knows that this was an undead threat. They needed to deal with it and so on and so forth. He goes into this basically tirade. And then I tell everyone and him as well that even though they heard a lot of footsteps, there's actually nobody there. As if the sound, the people or the sound had disappeared. And that was basically the end of that particular session. And that was kind of it because it, it was late, so on and so forth. And I mean, that was the particular, we had our arc with finding the crystal, finding the person who is quote unquote responsible, even though in part he is responsible. They'll need to locate the man in rags now and so on and so forth. They've aligned the crystal in town, but in the upper right-hand portion of it, there's still a piece missing. So things are put back like 97% of the way, but there's still some things that are missing in part. <clears throat> so they'll have to do things to make it so that they discover who took that other tiny piece of the crystal away for safekeeping, which of course will be they're probably not going to discover that until a long time down the line. And to be fair, uh, for as far as this session, other than me panicking and trying to lay too much track ahead of my players, which really kind of tripped me up because of the fact that I like to have things, you know, like as predictable as possible, which is kind of a interesting thing because I'm dealing with other people and other people aren't predictable. Well, I shouldn't say that. Some people are predictable, but other people really aren't. So I guess it was kind of a mixed bag there too. But one thing that I had discovered is like, I'm not good at thinking on my feet very much. And I think D&D and other types of creative endeavors, so on, will help with that. Because, yeah, I'm this impromptu like decision stuff, whether he is or is not a bad guy or things in that, because it wasn't planned out, I had gotten rather flustered behind the scenes with it because of the decisions that had to be made. 
and it's like, okay, do I make this decision now or later? I realized that for Darren the Druid, I made the decision right away. Okay, I just let all the details slip. They would catch him in a massive deception because he just was too silly for his own good, and then he would take they would take care of him. But for the doctor, that would have to be a different story because it, the decision wasn't made for him yet, and I wasn't thinking... I wasn't thinking long-term enough or fast enough ahead of my players to make it so that I could make it seem as though that decision <clears throat> had already been made for them and that they were just observing what was going on. <clears throat> so, because the more and more complex details I added, the more and more my players questioned what was going on because they needed to get the timeline of events down precisely so that they knew whether or not the character was lying. Okay, you said you were hit in the head. How long ago was that? Are you concussed? Maybe, maybe not. Let's check it out. Um, how long has it been since you've come to town here? Uh, how have things been? Blah, blah, blah. And as something started slipping because the druid couldn't provide satisfactory answers to those questions. He just kind of expired because they realized he was lying and he needed to be dealt with. But now, now actually, I've ended up with a funny interaction with a druid and a doctor who may or may not be a bad guy or a good guy who may just be, you know, a neutral guy, but also the doctor and the sorcerer, my brother's character, have exchanged blood samples as well. So the doctor has my brother's character's blood. And the, if I'm not mistaken, also the doctor gave some of his blood to my brother's character as well because my brother's character, in addition to being a cat, is also a blood sorcerer. So he's interested in that type of thing. His character is interested in doing those experiments and like getting the biggest, it's almost like a coin collection, but for blood. Getting the biggest collection, most interesting and diverse collection of blood he can possibly muster. So, ah, uh, well. And I mean, the guy who played the ranger in the session said the third session was a lot better than the first one, and I'm happy to see progress. And I'm also happy to see a little bit of not, not necessarily maturity on my part. Well, no, I don't really have too much of that. But anyway, where it's okay, things have gotten better. You know, it has improved somewhat between the first session and now because I'm learning what to do and what not to do insofar as, okay, it's not my responsibility to plot every twist and turn. It's just my responsibility to give my players the tools and the environment that they need to describe those things for them. And it's almost like, okay, it's a playground, go play. As long as we made sure, you know, there's not like, giant lava traps with spikes and what have you. I mean, as far as that with, uh, if it was an actual playground, you would want to make sure that those things weren't there. 
But as far as just a D&D session, those things can be there. And if they step on them, you know, have them roll for it. I don't really do, I haven't done a lot of traps. I did do some traps the first session, but I didn't do very many because it was just like a town. And it was more important to me, except for that trapped door, which strangely my players didn't really bat an eye at because the doctor was behind a trapped door. I didn't know if they would suspect him initially because of that. I know that based on the conversation that happened between them afterward, that it was where the fighter thought they would have to kill the doctor because he would have resisted telling them what they'd wanted to know, and he would have resisted giving them the part of the crystal that he had gotten himself because he'd wanted to keep it. And he was... I think they thought he was basically going to keep it no matter what, and they would have to pry it from his uh, cold, clammy fingers. But no, it wasn't that way. And I think that kind of ratcheted up the tension for them as well, because I know for sure the fighter, Egan, thought that they would have to, they were going to have to do things, you know, to rough him up, to either get him to do things or to get him to give up what he had or to just take it from him. And it didn't happen that way. And I was, you know, pleasantly surprised that I was kind of able to engineer things a little bit, you know, so that it didn't happen the way that they thought it had to happen. Because things, you can kind of mold things a little bit. That's another thing that I have to learn more of in addition to uh, thinking on my feet a lot better is molding things. It's like, okay, well, what if things don't go this way? Can we kind of shape the circumstances a little bit like clay? So it's like, okay, it doesn't bend to the right. It bends to the left. Ooh, how does that change what the players do, how the players interact with this character or this circumstance? And it was quite a cool thing to me to realize that that needed to be done, first of all, and that, okay, just because they meet somebody doesn't mean things have to go a certain way. It doesn't mean they have to leave a trail of NPCs in their wake. But instead, things can be dealt with without that. Where, okay, maybe so-and-so is a threat, but maybe they're not. And how do they deal with that? Which was interesting to me to learn that that needed to be done where okay just because they meet somebody it doesn't have to end a certain way or it doesn't have to end the same way all the time which helped me with this adaptability and thinking on my feet and so on and so forth which was i think the biggest thing that running this session of D had taught me i mean up to this point that'll be the end of this episode i appreciate you guys hanging out to learn more about the blog this podcast is connected to, you can visit it at fictionandcopydecoded.wordpress.com. You can learn about me there. You can also learn about me at my copywriting samples website, which is tymallcopywriting.yolasite.com. Yolasite is one word. It's Y-O-L-A-S-I-T-E.com. Oh, you can support this podcast by liking, sharing, commenting, and subscribing to get the word out. You can also become a monthly contributor if you'd like. For 99 cents a month, you'll get my thanks at the end of each and every episode. Well, not individually, but collectively. Uh, for $4.99 a month, I'll give you part of the show notes for that week 
for that episode in the month that you're featured. Terms apply, of course. And for $9.99 a month, I'll do a 30-second to one-minute ad for you to promote your business during the show. Again, terms apply. All right. I appreciate it once again that you took time to listen to me today, this week, this time. And we'll catch you guys next time. Have a great rest of your day.